0: You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Nicolodeans. Nicolaitans. Whatever. Nicolaitan. Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. There we go. Did I say it right? No. I always look to Sandra. She, she knows how to say it, which I also hate. Nikki, Nikki's the practice of the Nikki's. All right. See, when you get up here, sometimes it's just this hard. He who has the ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Two months ago, I went to. ...to the city of Ephesus, the, the site of Ephesus. And I do not want to have a travelogue in these series of lessons. That's not my purpose. My purpose for going was to to actually see these places and get a sense of the, of the, of the uh, people, our Christian brothers and sisters who lived there during that time. When I, I, I t- shared this with you, when I mentioned that to Julia back last year, she said, go. And so I I did. I I went. And so I I I took what I tried to do is take one minute videos and I took a whole lot of them and nothing was rehearsed. Uh, uh, There's a lot of mistakes in this. Uh, One that I'm not going to show talks about the the uh, theater behind me. It was a library. I made a mistake. Uh, in one of them that I will show, I say they hated the, the Nicolaitans or whatever. I, I said it right on the, on the video. Now nice. I can't even say it. They didn't hate them. They hated their works. All right, so you'll see mistakes. Uh, I'm going to show uh, three videos. Um, as I said, they, weren't, they were just uh, spontaneous, what I was thinking at that time. And so the reason I'm going to show this to you is, is to help you put you in a real place with some real people. In real time, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't like to see my face on the screen, uh, but it's going to be there. We're going to show, I'm I, at this video here. Is, we're on a street called Curate's Street. It's one of the main streets of Ephesus. Let's go ahead and show that. This is the main road, the main street of Ephesus. It's passing through... Valley of two mountains here, uh, coming coming down. They uh, built this going going up the uh, very fairly steep incline up to the area behind me. I was on a platform about fifteen feet high, and uh, I almost fell at one point. You know, I looked down, so (laughs) that that was that little jump there. But this is this is the main the main street, uh, or one of the main streets of Ephesus. Down the end there, you can see the library. Uh, Behind me was the agora, the main gate that came into. And so, as I, as I came, I, I had lots of thoughts as I walked down this, uh, this road, and I'll be sharing with those, some of those with you as we go along. But as we come to this letter, this was a letter written to the people that lived here in this city. And each letter has six points. It was written to someone. It was written from someone. Then there's a statement, I know, and then there's a, another statement that says, but or yet... And then he says, "Pay attention," and then there's a promise. Every letter is basically this outline, and so we'll see this over and over. Now, to whom the uh, it was written to a reader, I think the reader to the angel it says, and I think this was the reader or leader, but it represents the whole congregation. It says to the angel of, uh, and I think we can push a button there and it will come up. Let's see, there we go. To the reader that represents the congregation. So it was written to a person or to the reader or to the leader, but it's for the church. OK, it's not just for that per, uh, particular person. And then he says it's from Jesus. And each of these relates back to chapter one. Each, a, each description of Jesus is bringing us back to chapter one so we can find out something about uh, it's further expanded about Jesus. And then he says, I know and his knowledge of the com, uh, of the congregation is is always a commendation except for two churches. He, he praises every church except for Sardis and Laodicea. And we'll see that when we get to those. And then he says, but, or yet, and this is the reproof, this is a correction that he has except for two congregations. He does not correct Smyrna or Philadelphia. We'll look at uh, Smyrna next week. He then says, pay attention. And the way he does it is, through a, a, a way of uh, that, that was their custom, the way that, and Jesus used this several times. He who has an ear, let him hear. So that's everyone. Everyone has at least one ear. So whoever has an ear, let him hear. And all that means is now listen, pay attention to what I ha- I'm having to say. And so this is important for us to, to listen to this and say, God is calling our attention to this. We need to pay attention. And then there's a promise. Uh, and he, uh, he uniquely connects a promise to each church. As I said, this is addressed to all the churches, every church. It was specific to a local congregation, this one today, Ephesus. And even though all seven churches, they, they, if you think about it, they took this letter, they read it, and they were reading each other's mail. I mean, think about this. To the church of Ephesus. I'm sitting in Smyrna. Oh, what is today about Ephesus? And then if I'm in Smyrna and he says, well, and to the church of Smyrna. So they're reading one another's mail. And the reason is because he wants you. He wants them to listen to what I have to say to Ephesus. I want you to listen to what I have to say to Philadelphia because it applies to everyone. And the reason is because the last line in each of these, when the last lines it says, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, not to the church, but to the churches And so he says, even though this is specifically to Ephesus, I want you to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, because this is to you also. And so the same is true to us. As we examine this letter, as we look at it, we need need to say, what is God saying about the church at Central? To the church of Ephesus, he says, And it begins with this description of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 1, where he says... Uh, These are the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, do you recognize that if you're listening to chapter one or read chapter one, it sounds very similar and it is very similar. Uh, We saw in, in that lesson how the right hand was the hand of power, the hand of honor, and he's holding the seven churches in his right hand. It represents, he says, it represents the, the, um, the uh, messengers, but it represents the entire church. Now, here's the difference. In chapter 1, he says, he held the seven char, uh, churches or stars in his right hand. And that word there is, it's, that's not the English word, that's a Greek word, echo. That's the Greek word for hold in chapter 1. And it means simply to hold. All right. Hold his hand. Hold this one that we've just read in chapter two. Verse one is a stronger word. You see it there. And it means to hold firmly. And so he's taken this word that he's used in chapter one and he's brought it over to chapter two and he's expanded on it. He's made it a stronger word. And the difference would be if I was with my grandson and we're you know, I've done this several times. We get out of the truck and I say, hold each other's hand. That means that's echo. Just hold each other's hand. But if I said, grab hold of that boy, which I've done too, yes, they've run out in front of the traffic, that's the word there. You're grabbing him, okay? One is I'm holding. I got you by the hand. The other one is maybe even if he's screaming, it doesn't matter. You're going to hold him because you're not going to let him go out in traffic, right? And that's the word he says here. He says here that this is Christ who not only holds your hand, but he grabs hold of you. He's not going to let you go. All right. That's who we're talking about here. Emperor Domitian had a coin minted The emperor Domitian was the emperor at this time. He was a terrible man. Early in his reign, he did some good things. But as he got older and not too not Old in years, I think he died in his 40s, but as he got older, he became paranoid and he he killed relatives. Uh, He did terrible things, but he had a coin minted. And this is this is a, a picture of that coin and that coin has his son who died as an infant. But when he was born, he had this coin printed and he called him the son of God on the coin. Which makes Domitian God. And he's sitting on top of a globe. He's sitting on top of the world. And guess what he's reaching out to? The stars. Six stars. Later on, if we ever get there, six we'll find represents humanity, man. Seven is the the word of perfection. Represents everything. And it says here, Jesus says here. No, Domitian, your son doesn't hold the stars. I hold the stars. And this is the way mythology works. Mythology is taken we're going to see this later on, too. It takes a truth and it twists it or it'll change it or it, it develops over the years and it becomes a story. It becomes a myth. And here's an example of the myth of my son is holding has the world in his hands. And Jesus says and the book of Revelation does this over and over, he says, No, I'm gonna tell you that myth that you live by and I'm gonna show you the reality, the truth. I hold the stars. Not Domitian. And this is important because right at this time, people are going to be physically persecuted in terrible ways. It's gonna feel like Domitian is in charge. It's going to feel like he has all power. In fact, one of his po- coins says all power and majesty to Domitian. All honor and glorious. Another one. And there's all these things that we, that we read here. And, and John says or Jesus says, no, it might seem like he has the power, but I have all power. And then he secondly, he says he walks among uh, among the churches in chapter one, verse 13. He's described being among the churches he, among the lampstands was someone, he says in verse 13. And the idea is he's standing there among the churches. But he expands that in chapter two, verse one. He says he walks among the lampstands. He's he's looking, he's examining, he's with us. He's not separated. He's not just standing by passively, but he's actively involved. In the churches, Jesus is actively involved at Central. He walks among our lampstand. Ephesus, it was a real place, it was real people. And I shared with you how two months ago I went to this place. You know, I know this is kind of meaningless unless you've been there, but this picture on the upper right hand. Uh, I had a nostalgia and a warm feeling as I looked at these as I looked at this because I came in from the right hand side here. I'm not even sure what direction that is at the main gate. And I walked down this street and walked through a a, a forum here. Number 24 is uh, where the city council met. I walked up those those stairs and I walked down this street. This is Curate Street. That I walked down to the end and then I took a, a there you go. And then I took a right. And this is about, this is where I was about to fall around number 17. Uh, mm-hmm. Took a right and that is Marble Street to the, to the, uh, uh not the stadium, but the uh, amphitheater there. And then right in front of you is the Mar, is called Harbor Street that goes out to the harbor. And I walked through uh, all that area and, and, and it really became real that the people, that I that I read about walk these very streets. I'm going to show you this. I'm still on Curate Street. And we're going to sh- uh, see a short video now of that. I'm not that mad, but I look it. <laughs> the Bible says that Paul spent two years here uh, really teaching in a school. And because of that, uh, the word of the Lord went out through all of Asia. Looking at this main thoroughfare, uh, wagons I'm sure came up down here, but mainly pedestrian traffic. I wonder. Well, I'm sure Paul and Luke, Timothy, John, all walked up and down the street. Uh, on the sides would be businessmen; their different shops. So if they need to purchase something. Maybe they'd purchase things here. Uh, I'm sure they talk talk to people about. Jesus and, the uh, and the, uh, resurrection right on this, this street. And what's amazing about that, this was the New York city of the day. Uh, you know, we think of a New York city being a huge city and it is a huge city for the, there, there, there were only two other cities larger than this city, Alexandria and Rome. Uh, I've read different numbers, 250,000 to 500,000 people lived and walked up and down these streets and, uh, you know, did uh, worked and and did all the things that we do. And I thought, you know, well, 500,000, that isn't that many people, you know, but think about this 500,000 people in this area with no running water, with no electricity, with no refrigerators, with no adequate drainage and sewers. Now you put 500,000 people together. Hmm. That's that's a busy. Smelly place is going to, you know, uh, you know, we have good trash pickup and, you know, we put stuff out by the side of the road and they come pick it up. You know, Uh, there there's, you know, I don't know what they did with with things like that. But it's a very busy, busy place. Also, one of the seven wonders of the world was here, the temple of Artemis. And it was at this temple. That uh, uh, that uh, will that Paul was at and we'll talk about it uh, later on. Um, emperor worship took place here. This is a very, very important city for emperor worship. And when people worshiped the emperor, they they were honored by the emperor. And so Domitian was uh, had a very fond uh, uh, feeling for Ephesus, but he hated the Christians there because they wouldn't worship him. And that's one of the reasons they went and, and had so much uh, uh, persecution. And it's in this metropolitan city with all its glamour and wealth that, G, that Paul comes and he begins to teach the good news about Jesus. You can read that in the book of Acts. And I'm just going to read one little section, Acts chapter 18. And, I, and, and it didn't really hit me until I was in Ephesus and I read this. I, I read the book of Ephesians. I read the section in, uh, in uh, Revelation. I read the book, this section in Acts. And Acts chapter, I'm standing this picture. I'm standing at the top of the amphitheater and I'm looking down Harbor Road where it ends. There was a port. Uh, it's been silted in. It's, there's no port there anymore. There used to be a port there where people, the, the goods would be unloaded from the ocean, which is just in the distance there. They uh, built a, a, ca- a, a channel that, uh, and then built a port and then they bring their goods in right down this uh, road. But if you read in Acts chapter 18... He uh, Paul is in Corinth and he leaves and he says that he's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And he says uh, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in uh, Crea because of a vow. And then it says, verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Pr- Priscilla and Aquila. And I find that really interesting because all it says is he left them. No conversation. He just left them there. And I and I want and I wish I knew the rest of the story. Where did he leave them? Where were they living? What were they doing? What plans did they have? Did they have any plans? Did they talk about how they were going to reach out to people in this city? Why did he choose Aquila and Priscilla? On and on. But it just says he just left them. And then he says he went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. Can you imagine that? Paul was said, please stay here and teach us. And here is a preacher who says, no, I'm leaving and that's what he did. He says, But as he left, he promised, I'll come back of his God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. He walked down that road, got on a boat, and he left. And it just says here he landed at Saint, uh, uh, what is it? Caesarea. That's a long ways away. That's on the other side of the Mediterranean, as far as you can go east. And so he's gone a long ways. And in one little sentence here, part of a sentence, he landed there, he went up, he greeted the church, and he went up to Antioch. That's all it says. But he's left behind Priscilla and Aquila in this city. They meet in this city a man named Apollos, verse 24. And he had come to Ephesus. He was a learned man. They taught him more thoroughly the scriptures we, we read. Um, and then it, it goes on down where Apollos, he went to Ar- Ar- Archaea. The brothers encouraged him. The disciples wrote to the, They wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And then if you look down in um, where am I looking at the same time in verse twenty three, Paul is in the eastern part of the world and he begins to walk back to Ephesus. I drove these places. That's a long ways to walk. What took me several hours must have taken. Two weeks. Uh, the, 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 The mountains are rugged. Walking over these mountains, even on good roads, would be difficult. And all we have here is he's just making his way through Galatia and Phrygia. He strengthened the disciples as he makes his way back to Ephesus. So he comes back to Ephesus, and we see that in in chapter 19. And the adventure that happens there, there's a riot that takes place. Uh, I believe it was this place, this is the amphitheater, where there was... It, it said it was, it was full of people yelling, great is Artemis. And there must have been 25,000 people there. I could hear people have a conversation. When I was at the top, I could hear them have a conversation below. That's how good the acoustics are. Can you imagine 25 people yelling over and over, great is Artemis of the Ephesians? Thousands of them. How many did I say? Well, 25, okay, well, if it was 25, it'd be scary. 25,000 was even, would it even be worse? And Paul, here's the neat thing. Paul goes, I want to go in there and talk to them. And they're say, and his friends say, they'll tear you apart. They're going to kill you. And they wouldn't let Paul go in. And some of the friends that he had held him back. Some of the council leaders, the people who were part of the city council said, no, Paul, you cannot go in there. And they, they, it, he could have been killed right there at that very place. But they took him away and said, no, you can't be a part of that. It's an adventure. You can read on your own. Luke and Timothy worked there. If you read Ephesians, you will see the depths of their teaching. Uh, First and second Timothy. Guess where that was written to? This city. Timothy was in the city when he wrote first and second Timothy. That's the church we're a part of. I could go on and on. I'm totally out of time. The result. He said, Jesus said, but I know. I know how you are. I know what's going on in your city. I know the things you've gone through. And he said, you've, you've checked out teachers. When teachers come, you just don't let any anyone come in and just start teaching. You check them out to see if they're true, if what they're saying is true. If they're false. If they're, uh, if they're false, you, you don't have anything to do with them. You've persevered. You've endured uh, many things. You have not grown weary. This is the type of person... You are. This is the type of church you are. You're serious about God's Word and you're hard workers. That's the type of people you are. And that is a great commendation. This is the type of church that we strive to be. This is the ch- type of church when we look at a church and we say, Man, that church works hard. These people are serious about God's Word. And we say, That's a wonderful thing. And it is. This is the type of church we should be to follow truth and to work hard is honorable and it's necessary. If we don't follow God's word, we're not a church. If we don't work hard, we're going to die. We can't compromise truth. We can't live a lie. And they took to heart, I believe, Paul's last words uh, as he left. If you read, keep on reading he leaves the Ephesian elders. He he doesn't meet the Ephesian elders in Ephesus, but in a city down the road, about 20 miles down the road. He has them brought to him. Uh, you find this in chapter 20, uh, 20, of Acts and in verses 28. Let me read 28 through 31. He says here, keep watch over yourselves. He's talking to the elders and all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of God, of the church of God. Can you just hear the emotion his Voice, be shepherds of this church, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day, night and day with tears. And I think they took that to heart. They said, we're not going to let people come in like that. We're going to work hard. We're going to prevent the savage wolves from coming. And if it's arising from our own number, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. And I believe they did. Yet, he says, yet something was missing. Something was missing. Something vital was missing. He says, yet you've forsaken your first love. I thought about that a lot. I have a video on this, a short video on this, uh, of, of, as I was thinking about all these things. But he says, "But you're forsaken. You, you, you've, you're hard workers. You do so well, but you've done something. You've, there's something missing in your life." Let's watch this video. Church at Ephesus was a an amazing church. When you read how it was described. In the book of Revelation They didn't give up They worked hard They were known for their hard work As I've walked through these city streets And thought about the hundreds uh, Thousands of people that lived here And walked here The amount of time that Paul And Luke and Timothy And Apollos Apollos was here I believe this is where um, Apollos came and also spoke uh, Of course John and others And others This city had, this church had a great foundation of, can you believe, just the best teachers, the best teachers who have ever existed. Uh, They must have grounded them well. And so they remained doctrinally pure. Uh, They hated the Nickelodeons. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Obviously, false teachers. They opposed what they were teaching. But Jesus said he had this against them. They left their first love. And as I think about that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to think about that a lot. What does that mean? Leave your first love. Because they were doing everything else right. They were persevering. They were working hard. They were teaching hard. They were standing firm. But they left their first love. And Jesus said, repent and turn back to me. And so you're thinking about that. They left their first love. A lot of times I've read what other people have said. And when I read, I always try and think, is that what is really being said? And a lot of times it says, well, they're not loving God or Christ enough or they're not loving them correctly. And something that just that bothers me. It doesn't sound right. Because here we have a church that's working hard. It sounds like they love Christ. There, when someone comes in, they're comparing what the person says with the scriptures to see if it's true. That sounds like love for God. And yet he says, but you've left your first love. You've left something here. What, what is it? What have you forsaken here? I looked at a lot of passages. One, one that came instantly to my mind was the one where Jesus says the first command is to love God with your entire being. And the second is like it. Love others as you love yourself. And I really believe what, the, what they've left, what they've forsaken, that first love they've forsaken, isn't their love for God, but their love for one another. John thirteen thirty five says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. How is love for God shown? How does God say, this is how you show your love for me? Hard work? I don't think that's in the scriptures. This is how you show your love for me. Go to church. I don't think it's in the scriptures. This is how you love. Show your love for me by loving one another. And that's what I think they've missed over in first. John chapter four, verse 19 through 20 uh, through 21. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother. He's a liar for anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God Let's also love his brothers. That's what I think they missed. Because it's so easy to become religious and forget about our relationships. It's so easy to have a formula and say, if I do these things religiously, then God's going to be pleased with me. I actually heard something on the radio today talking to children. It said, this is how this is what God wants. He wants us to go to church and sing to him. It was something along that line. I thought, hmm, that's what we're teaching our kids. Well, we do need to teach our kids to go to church. We do need to teach our kids to sing. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that's where we focus. is do things for God. And God says, listen, wake up. I want you to do things for each other. That's how you show your love for me. It's not, I don't need your songs. You need the songs. I don't need the service. I have everything, God says. You need the service. And so that's where I think they they lost their first love. That word forsake. You've forsaken your first love. Interesting word here. You know what it means It's the same word as forgive. The very same word where it says forgive one another is this very same word. And it means to let it go. It just means release it. All right. And so you can use this when when it says forgive. He's saying release the other person. Don't hold on to the other person. And when he says here, you have forsaken, he's saying, you've let go that first love. The one who said, I hold firmly the seven stars. I hold firmly the church. I love this church. I hold them firmly. I'm not going to let the church. That's people. I'm not going to let you go. Chastises people. The church, because you've let each other go. You've let each other go. That's what you're forsaken. You know this is true. You can go to church. And you can sing songs. And you can partake of the Lord's Supper. And do all those things. And have, and just. I I, I want to use a real strong word here. Let me use a lighter word. And not like the people around you. You can even detest the people around you. And you can feel good because you went to church and you sang songs and you took the Lord's Supper and you put some money in the collection plate and you did all these things and say, well, God must be happy with me. And he says, no, you have forsaken your first love. Your first love is how you treat one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Be like me, Jesus says, hang on tightly to your first love. And there's a cure. He says, repent. And that word means change your mind. That's what the word means. The word repent means change your mind. That's all it means. He says, change the way you think. Quit thinking about yourself. Think of others. Think of other people. Put them first in your lives. And then he says, and do the things you did before. And he's not saying do this to merit anything. He's not saying this is how you earn your salvation. He's not even saying you've lost your salvation. You're going to re-earn it by doing some things here. He's not saying that at all. This is a simple principle. It's a simple spiritual law that says this. If you want something, do it before you feel like doing it. All right. If you want to be happy. Then do happy things and you will feel happy. That's, That's just it's just true. If you want to feel sad, do sad things. Just sit in your room and mope and you will feel sad. Just do sad things. And so this is the same principle. He says, do the things that you need to do and you will in and, and your heart will follow that. Do the things you need to do with one another. That's how you repent. That's how you change. And there can be a ton of ways. Let me give you an example. Ways to show love for your family. And you can email me at sermonthoughts at Yahoo if you want to give me some more. But going to church and I'm preaching to the choir, obviously going to the assemblies. If you wait until you feel like it, you won't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a story. This is man. He said, I don't want to go to church. His wife's trying to wake him up Sunday morning. I don't want to go to church. He know, why not? He said, because no one there likes me. And I don't get anything out of church. She says, come on, you've got to go to church. You've got to get up. He says, why? Just give me one good reason why I should go. Well, because you're the preacher. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. Do you? And I've shared with you, in all honesty, sometimes I don't want to be here. I don't. If I, if I followed my heart, a lot of times I wouldn't be here. And you say, yeah, but you have to. Well, okay, fine. But if I didn't have to be here, you know what I would have to do? I just have to do it. We make excuses. I'm too tired. It's been a long week. It's uh, on and on. And you've left your first love. These people need you. That's why you're here. You're here to help other people. And, you you know, you're sitting there listening right now. say, Oh, we're just sitting here listening. No, but you apply it before and afterwards. The way you sing is encouragement. The, Richard talked about the giving. That's an encouragement. Those are things that we need. And so just by getting yourself up and being here, and I, and I talked about that last week with you with little children. Just getting up and being here is a source of encouragement as you deal with those little ones. As you, sometimes you can't hear a thing in the sermon because you're dealing with those little ones. And that's okay because you're a source of encouragement. To the others. Another is having, you know, hospitality, having people in your home. Who likes to do that? My mother. All right. <laughs> She's a rare exception. She loves to have people in her home. She loves it. I would rather the house to be quiet. I did not, I did not inherit that dream from her. You know, just be alone. But the Bible says reach out to others, be hospitable, take them into your home, spend time with people. That's your first love. You know, I would much rather just go home and read a chapter in the Bible by myself and feel very, very spiritual. I would. I would feel spiritual. I read the book of Revelation. I understand everything it says. Well, <laughs> dream on. But instead of that, he says, you know, have people into your home, practice hospitality, visiting people, serving others on and on. What's your first love? What, wherever your application is. Let's end. Let's try and end this. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. I need to stop apologizing for preaching the Word of God. (laughs) All right. Revelation will take myths and it shows reality. It takes the myths of the world and says, here's reality. Myths are basically truths that have been expanded, they've been turned into fantasy, they've been twisted in some way. I showed you that with the seven stars. The fantasy was that Domitian felt like he and his son held the seven stars. And the truth of the gospel is that Jesus holds those seven stars. Here's another myth. The Temple of Artemis. My picture is on the bottom left-hand side. This uh, uh, rendition of it on the top uh, right. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. And what's interesting, in this place there was an enclosure. There was a garden. And there was in every temple. And this garden was called... Paradises. That's what they called their gardens. In the temple of Artemis, there was a tree, a sacred tree that was planted there. They would go and worship this tree or worship around the tree. And guess what that tree was called? The tree of life. Now, where did they get that from? It was it was they were listening to the, the, the truth of Genesis and they developed this over the years, and they, they took, well, we've lost the garden, and we've lost the tree of life, and so they recreated it in, in this physical way, in the garden here. In chapter 2, verse 7, let me get over there, he says, whoever, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life Which is in the paradise of God. Everyone in Ephesus who heard that would have known down the road at the temple of Ephesus. there's a place called paradise where they say the tree of life is. Every Christian would have said that's wrong. We know from the book of Genesis that it's in the Garden of Eden. The paradise was there and the tree of life was there and we've lost it. He says, I'm going to give you the right to the tree of life. There's two words for tree. The first tree is a living tree. Dendron is the word. It's a common tree. Anytime you said the word tree and it was alive, a fir tree, uh, uh, the mustard seed that grew into a tree, that's the word it was used. Anything living was a dendron. But if it was dead, it was a Zulon. Uh, When they came to Jesus with clubs, they came with Zulons. When Paul and Silas were put in stocks, they were put in Zulons, wooden stocks. That's the word that was used. When Paul talks about the cross, what was dead, Galatians chapter 3 says, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, who is hung on a Zulon. Whoever is cursed is hung on a Zulon. And so when we come to the tree of life, what do we expect? It's alive. Fruit. We eat from it. We live. You would expect the dendron of life, wouldn't you? But it's not. It's the Zulon of life. I think I have it on the next slide there. Let's see. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree, not the dendron of life, but from the Zulon of life. The tree of life is the cross. Whoever eats from the cross lives. The piece of cracker, the juice that we use, that we took that Richard was just, it's just what, 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 what was your phrase? So what? So what? This is what? This is so what? This is the tree of life. The cross is the tree of life. When we come to the cross, that's where life is. This picture I took at the Saint John's Basilica, uh, right, right by the place, the little place I stayed at. It's just walk up a hill, and this, this is where the Apostle John was buried. Just to the right of this, a uh, little bit to the right of this baptistry, you notice the shape of the baptistry. The cross. In the early days, when they built baptistries, they built them in the shape of the cross. You know why? That's where life is. I walked down every baptistry I found. I walked down into them. I walked down into this one. I walked down into the one in Ephesus because I wanted to say, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of people were buried in baptism right here in this cross? In this water. How many became Christians right here where I'm standing? The cross of Christ is the reason we have life. And he says, anyone who overcomes, you have the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's not over there in the temple of Artemis, but it's right here, and everyone has the right to it. If you're outside of Christ, that's what baptism is, is a coming into him, is being buried, is being raised to a new what? Life. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. It's a new life. You go in an old man, you come out a new man. You go in an old woman, you come out a new woman. Brand new in Christ. Overcome, you have the right to the tree of life. Um... Our elders are going to come up here. They're going to be here waiting for you if you need to make any kind of response. Whether it's coming into Christ, as those three young people did this past week. They came into Christ. They were buried with him in baptism. They're raised. They're brand new people. I treat them differently now because they're new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. If you want to do that, we're going to give you that opportunity. If you need to come and... Just talk about anything that's on your heart with elders. Please come as we stand as we sing this song.